Welcome to the Compass Church Podcast with Pastor Tim Jacobs, a ministry of Compass Church with your Arizona. Join us now as we look into God's Word to be challenged and changed. Um, we are in a series called Won't You Be My Neighbor? What? Oh. Oh. Huh. <laughs> Where's your wife when you need her? <laughs> yeah, this one has proven to be a bit more of a challenge than the others. Now, and some people are like, well, you know, Mr. Rogers' sweaters, they had a zipper. And it's like, Whatever, we couldn't find one with a zipper. Holy cow, this is like, you know, from the 19-whatever. So if you got it off of Amazon, get a new one every week. So they're all buttoned up. We tried to find the zipper, so sorry. We'll be auctioning these off at the end, by the way, and... All the proceeds go to feed hungry children, mine. Um, <clears throat> anyway, so, so here's the thing. I'm not going to sing for you today, but I do have a story to tell you, and it's found in the book of Luke chapter 13, starting with verse 10. So go ahead and turn there right now. And as you're turning there, I want you to look at this picture that one of my kids drew a long time ago. This is not a cute picture. It's a terrible picture. Obviously, you can tell by the person who drew it, they do not know what they were doing. Either they were a really little kid, or they have no artistic talent whatsoever, right? Why do you know this? Because if you look at it, it's wrong. Whoever colored this has colored outside of the lines. And the reason why we look at it, and it's frustrating to look at, and you go, that's a terrible picture, is because someone taught us a long time ago that when some other guy puts lines on a page, and on a blank page, it makes a, it makes a picture or an image, that your job is to conform to those lines, to fit your color within the boundaries that this particular person, whoever they are, has set. But that's not what little kids do. They don't know that. They just see a page, and they put the color wherever they want to put the color. And then when they're done, they're like, wow, this is amazing. And where everyone else sees a mess, they see a masterpiece. And they're so proud. of. The, I don't know which kid this was of ours, but whoever it was obviously was proud enough of this picture to show it to my wife and say, look, mom, look what I did. And she kept it. And our youngest kid is 11, okay? So we still haven't gotten rid of it. Why not? Because, because even though it's a picture only a mother could love, the mother loves it. Why? Because it's an expression of the child, right? Of the creativity and the, and the, uh, the non-conformity and the, the beauty of that individual child creating something even though it doesn't fit the predetermined lines that somebody else established. And so today we have a story where Jesus is going to color outside of the lines of a very powerful religious leader. He's going to mess with his head, and he's going to bend the rules. And so where this religious leader is going to see nothing but a mess, everyone else is going to see a masterpiece. And so as we read this, I want you to keep in mind the fact that if we're going to be good neighbors, 
If we're going to be effective neighbors, we have to come to grips with this fact, that God's grace colors outside of our lines. It doesn't play by our rules. And if you're in love with your own rules, your own ideas of the way God is supposed to do things and the people that he heals and the people that he reaches and the people that he loves and the things that he does and the ways that he does them and you're so in love with your own understanding of how those things happen, you're going to end up like this Pharisee, like this individual we're going to look at and you're going to be embarrassed and shocked and humiliated by the amount of concrete in here. And so if we read this, as we read this, however, see if you can sympathize with this individual, <clears throat> this leader. So this is how it goes. It's pretty self-explanatory. Verse 10, it says, Now he, speaking of Jesus, was teaching in one of the synagogues on the Sabbath. And behold, there was a woman who had had a disabling spirit for 18 years. She was bent over and could not fully straighten herself. When Jesus saw her, he called her over and said to her, Woman, you are freed from your disability. And he laid his hands on her, and immediately she was made straight, and she glorified God. But the ruler of the synagogue, indignant because Jesus had healed on the Sabbath, said to the people, there are six days in which work ought to be done. Come on those days and be healed, not on the Sabbath day. Can you believe that? Then the Lord answered him, you hypocrites! Does not each of you on the Sabbath untie his ox or his donkey from the manger and lead him away to water it? And ought not this woman, a daughter of Abraham, who Satan is bound for 18 years, be loosed from this bond on the Sabbath day? As he said these things, all his adversaries were put to shame, and all the people rejoiced at the glorious things that were done by him. Okay, so what do we have going on here? Well, we have a woman who for 18 years cannot stand up straight. So she's got some kind of spinal disease or bone disease or a bad case of osteoporosis or whatever. And so she cannot stand up. There's a good chance she may have even had to like walk on all fours, kind of like a dog almost. It's a humiliating thing. And there are two qualities that we know about this person that would make her a social outcast. Number one, she is a woman which, no offense, but you, you know, I know there's a lot of social angst right now about gender issues and whatnot, but ladies, can I just tell you that while I know you've, you feel certain inequities and whatnot, you would not want to trade places with a woman in the first century in the Roman Empire. Trust me. You, we've come, you know, we've got a long way to go, but we've come a few steps ahead in 2,000 years especially here in America. There's some cultures you would still would not want to be a woman today, but back then you especially would not, would rather be a man than a woman because you just didn't really have any civil rights at all. Secondly, she's disabled. And if you're disabled, you're not good for anything. They didn't have like social security. They didn't have like disability. They didn't have any of that stuff. They didn't handicap parking spots. You're on your own, man. So what happens is for most of her life, she has been shoved to the side, bumped into, knocked over, scolded for blocking the path, probably made fun of on, on all kinds of occasions. And even more than that, the amount of times she's had eyes rolled at her, she's just been seen as an annoyance, not good for anything, no value at all. 
And this woman was like this for 18 years of, his, of your life. And you know, when, you, when, when it goes on that long, it kind of gets into your soul, you know? It becomes a part of you. You start to see yourself the way everybody else sees you. This is who I am. And I'm just a piece of trash, you know? That's all I am. You know that this woman does not have a shred of dignity in her life. Now, what makes things even more interesting is that her condition was a disabling spirit, which is interesting because the guy that wrote this was a guy named Luke, and Luke was a doctor. So Luke has no problem with science. He has no problem with empirical data. He has no problem with using the methods that we have at our disposable to heal and not just, you know, praying or, or hoping for supernatural solutions, right? So he acknowledges the existence of the ability to be able to fix things with the knowledge that you have. And that's what we should do, right? I mean, God created science and, and, and knowledge and observation and testing and discovering laws that govern nature. God creates all this stuff, so he's in charge of science. He doesn't compete with science. But even Luke acknowledges that while the symptoms may be scientific or, or empirical from the standpoint of like we can see what's going on, and there may be even, you know, um, other things going on that we can't see, but the very, very, very root cause of this person's problem is spiritual. And that's really important for us to understand conceptually, guys, because yes, there are problems we can fix, there are, there are diseases we can cure, but the fundamental reason that this world's broken in the first place, and not just with disease, but with everything else, with the tragedies of life and all the kinds of things, if you roll it all the way back and you peel back the curtain, what we live in and among is a spiritual battle that lies right beneath the surface, and behind it all, we have a sworn enemy whose goal it is to steal, kill, and destroy. Now, that does not negate personal responsibility. It doesn't mean that a person says, well, the devil made me do it. No, that's not it. But what we need to understand is when we look at the world, we need to just not see it from the standpoint of purely physical, but understand that right underneath the surface, there is a huge spiritual battle going on for the souls of men and women. And we have to see that as the lens with which we view the world, that Satan has set himself up against God to ruin everything that he's intended for good. And his tactics are to deceive and to disrupt, and of course, more than anything else, to convince you that he's not even there. Or if nothing else, to convince you that he's as harmless as a guy who dresses up on Halloween with a pitchfork and a little tail. Or, you know, the ASU uh, mascot, right? You know, and it's, oh, isn't it cute, little devil, right? And that's all that he is. And his whole goal is to shroud his true intention and his true power. Now, we aren't one of those churches that goes around seeing a demon behind every corner. We don't do that. Some churches talk more about Satan than they do talk about God, which is not a good thing. But we can't also go the other way and not acknowledge the existence that we live in a spiritual world and that the root causes of our problems are spiritual. For example, I was having lunch with Gabe a few weeks back, and he was telling me, you know, Gabe, our worship pastor, um, this guy, and uh, and he was telling me about how there was this homeless dude over on Litchfield, and he, he felt compelled to, to engage him, you know, like he gave, gave him some money. There's something about being a, a believer in Christ that, that even though you know that giving money to homeless guys doesn't like help them long term, like it's deeper than that, but you just feel when, you, when, you, when you're filled with, with compassion because of the compassion that's been shown to you, you just, you just move towards hurting people, you know? So he, he goes over to this guy, and he gives him a couple bucks, and that, and that opens up this conversation, and the guy says, look, you know, I've been, he's a young guy. He says, I've been struggling with drugs. 
And he admitted, he goes, my core problem is spiritual. I mean, he basically didn't say it quite like that, but in the conversation, he goes, I was going to church for a while, I was doing good, but the drugs got me again. And, and he says, will you pray for me and ask that I can be released from this burden of drugs? And so here's a physical manifestation of a human being who, who you know, another social program isn't going to help this guy. It's not his problem. His problem is spiritual. He's held in the grip of Satan. So our homeless problem, our drug problem, our suicide problem, our domestic violence problems, our racism and social division find their root cause in the spiritual. They stem from actions that come from confusion and ignorance about who God is and what he wants from us. And people being hidden from the reality of the love of God, so they choose to throw out their anger and their bitterness and their vitriol at everyone around them. And that's what produces these tragedies and these horrific things that happen. And the reason why I bring this up and think it's so important as part of the story is we cannot be good neighbors unless we understand that because we're going to misdiagnose the problem. So while, yes, we are responsible for our own actions, but at the same time, my brother and my sister, my fellow human being, they're ultimately not the enemy. The enemy is the enemy. You know what I'm saying? They might do stupid, horrible, awful things, but, but if they're trapped in a spiritual battle for their soul and they're harassed by Satan or if they're snagged in some kind of addiction, they're caught. And it's, it's, yeah, it's they're responsible, but they're caught in a trap and they're ultimately not. The enemy is the enemy. And it could have just as easily been you. In fact, you know what? At one time it was you because the Bible says if you're a Christian, you've been set free from the, the power of Satan, but all of us were in the kingdom of darkness, is what the scripture says. And I think that's important as a note to be able to begin to look at, at the, everyone around us with eyes of compassion. We don't know the battles that the people around us are fighting and the reason and what's really going on behind the surface. So Jesus, who is God, and he governs everything because he has power over everything. So all he does is he goes over to this woman who's been for 18 years hunched over, you know, and not unable to walk and unable to live correctly. And he touches her and instantly what happens is he makes right what has been wrong. And she stands up straight for the first time in who knows how long. And, and when he does that, he, he corrects all of the things that have been broken and brings them into alignment with the will of God. And that is an amazing, astounding thing. Imagine the rush that this woman experienced when all of a sudden, like, her whole orientation to life has been looking down on the ground, right? If all you do is, are you're hunched over, you never see what's going on here. All you do, and you have to kind of crane yourself up if you can even do that. So her whole orientation has been the ground. Imagine the first time that, that the touch of, of the Son of God hits her and like this, whatever happens, right? And all of a sudden her body just stands up straight and functions as it was intended to function. Imagine the rush, not only of the amazement of being healed, but the restoration of human dignity that would be infused into her soul as she can now see eye to eye with everyone around her and they're all looking at her in amazement going, I cannot believe this is happening. Imagine what that would have been like. And everyone is completely amazed and excited except for one guy, the ruler of the synagogue, the smartest guy in the room, the most holy person around, the one who's supposed to be the closest to God. In fact, not only was he not happy about this at all, the Bible says he was indignant. Indignant means not just angry, but angry over something like that's wrong. 
In our, in our day, we would call it outrage, right? It's like when you go on social media, that's what you find, outrage. I'm outraged. You know, wow, we don't care, but you let everyone know I'm outraged, you know? It's like this guy in my neighborhood, he's like, some dog went to the bathroom on his lawn, and the lady, like, I guess, took the, picked it up with a bag and put it on the, like, on the yard and didn't, like, throw it away or whatever, and so he puts this thing on social. I got HD cameras, you know, and you better, you know, show yourself before I plaster your face all over. And it's just, like, that's what, that's where we're living right now. Indignance, outrage, like, moral anger, right? It's, like, so cool to be morally upset about everything. And that's this guy. He's, like, on the high ground, man. How dare you do that? And it could not be captured better in his statement. It's so perfect the way the Bible captures it. You can just hear him in his little robe and his little hat. <clears throat> there are six days in which work ought to be done. Come on those days and be healed, and not on the Sabbath. <laughs> right? Like, don't you just want to punch this guy? Like, don't you just want to tackle him and just beat him, you know? I shouldn't say that. But I mean, like, I, 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 I don't. I'm just saying maybe some of you do. <laughs> but like, what is wrong with you? Can you, like, can you believe what is wrong with you, man? You just witnessed a miracle. You just saw a woman who undoubtedly you've seen before many times in your life and you've never been able to do anything to help her and you thought her situation was totally hopeless as did everyone else. And it's like at this point, who cares about the Sabbath, man? Isn't the whole reason for this whole religion was to see God make things wrong, make them right again? Isn't the whole like arc of the Old Testament about God restoring what's been made broken? Are you blind, man? Can you not see this? Which is why the whole reason Jesus heals people in the first place. He doesn't just heal them because he wants to be some like Benny Hinn TBN guy like whacking people on the head to get a TV show and drive a jet all over the world. That's not why he heals people. He heals people so, <laughs> sorry, he heals people so to make a point because he didn't heal everybody. He went to the cross and he's like, it is finished. Really? There's all these still sick people out there. Why didn't he? Because that wasn't the point. The point was to show people in particular times, look, I have authority over everything and I can set what's wrong and make it right. So if this person is really messed up, I can touch them and bring their body into conformity into the way it was intended to function. And if I can do that with your body, imagine what I can do with your soul. Because it's easy for any crazy guy to walk up and go, I can fix your soul. Well, no one knows how you do that, right? But if I can actually touch you and miraculously heal your body, dude, you have all kinds of street cred, man. And I will trust you because look what you just did. That's why he heals people. He's like, it's a picture of the, of the coming of grace and restoration and, and alignment with what God intended. And you, it gets rid of all the bad stuff, you know, that ruins our lives. And so this is why he does it. But this guy sees none of that. All he sees is that Jesus colors outside of the line. He doesn't play by the rules. And as we said at the very beginning, if you're in love with your own rules, that's more important to you than actually watching God heal people in front of your face, then you have a heart full of concrete and you're going to miss what God is doing in the world. And you will never, you know, but will, really, you're going to miss everything because your heart's going to be stone cold, man, just completely incapable of seeing the beauty and the wonder and the love of God because it doesn't fit your little box. In other words, if your rules can prevent you from having compassion on your neighbor, if our rules prevent us from having compassion on our neighbor, there's something wrong with our rules. Now hear me, compassion does not mean approval. 
it just means compassion. You know what I mean? Like, I think we feel like, especially in our strain of Christianity, sometimes, like, there's some of us that feel like, well, if I, if I, if I show compassion for that person, then I'm showing approval of what they do, because I don't approve of their lifestyle or their, what God's, you know, I don't approve of their decisions and, and what might be happening in their life. And then we think that that's, but if I show compassion, well, then I'm, like, you know, if I, accept, if I accept them into my life somehow, or if I become friends with them, if I try to reach out to them and show love to them, as some I'm approving. No, no, it's not, compassion's not approval, it's just compassion. So Jesus, man, he just like lights him up. Verse 15, then the Lord answered him, you hypocrites, does not each of you on the Sabbath untie his ox or his donkey from the manger and lead it away to water? In other words, like, you guys, you guys, you guys take your ox or your, your little cow or whatever, and you, you walk it all over. You think, and that was more labor than all I did was touch the woman. That's all I did. You guys do more than I do, and this is a woman, not a donkey. And then he says, Ought not this woman, a daughter of Abraham, who Satan bound for 18 years, be loose from this bond on the Sabbath? There's where he turns around on him. He goes, look, we know you're not supposed to do any work on the Sabbath, right? Um, because it's supposed to be a day of rest. Which is, by the way, one of the most liberating things in all of human history. People go, oh, the Sabbath, whatever, who cares, it's so outdated. Are you kidding me? The, the institution of the Sabbath day is one of the most, the most liberating things that's ever happened to mankind in all of human history. Because it's a statement that says that human beings are not by nature um, robots that work endlessly and live only to work. That's not our purpose. Our purpose is to live as worshipers of God and as people who are able to actually live live in peace and live in rest. It's a foreshadowing of what's to come and it's a, so you get six days you work and one day you stop and you, and you rest and you don't worry about all these things you have to do and you come together with your family, you enjoy the fruits of your labor and you spend time thinking about God and it humanizes you. It humanizes you. And if you don't believe me, just go to a culture like I've been, places where they have no Sabbath day. They work seven days a week. And the, love, the, the opinion of humanity in those cultures is very, very low. So what happens is these guys, these Pharisees, had turned the Sabbath day into a burden. Because rather than it being a day of rest and restoration for people, they made all these rules about what you can and can't do, Right? So now, because if you do too much, then you're actually working and you're not, you're not following the Sabbath. So now that makes the Sabbath even more stressful than the other days of the week because you're worried about doing too much. Oh, if I go over and make myself an omelet, you know, and I turn the stove on and I have to walk too far to get the egg, you know, that's work and someone sees me through the window, now I'm busted. This stress. So they made this, they even sucked the life out of the Sabbath day. And that's what legalistic, rule-bound people do. They just suck the life out of everything. Mm, no, they're never happy. Because they got all these rules, and they got to make sure you're following the rules. Because that's what God wants, right? That's what God wants from you. And that's why a lot of you came back to church after you left as fast as you could when you turned 18 or whatever else. Because all you saw was guys like this. And you thought that was, God, that was God's heart. So, so what, what Jesus is saying is like, Look, first of all, you guys walk your donkeys over there to get water. That's more work than what I did. And second of all, if the Sabbath is supposed to be a day of rest and a day of freedom and a day of being released from your burden, can you imagine a better day for me to heal someone and release this woman of her burden? Can you think of a better day in the week to release this burden, this woman of her burden and give her rest and freedom than the Sabbath? 
Can you think of a better day? Monday? Wednesday? Friday? Is that a better day than the day that we just did it just now, the Sabbath day? Can you think of a better day? <laughs> like, mic drop, right? Jesus is like, boom. As my kids would say, he got murked. You're like, what's that? <laughs> you gotta go look it up, man. You got kids in the house, you learn a whole new set of the English language, man. It's wonderful. Now here's the deal, though, guys. Before we rip this dude too badly, because you really want to do that, Maybe we ought to look at ourselves. Because I think there are a lot of people in this room who are more like this Pharisee than we would care to admit. I'd be the first one to say. See, Jesus came to earth to save sinners. That's why. Of who I am, I'm one, man. I'm a sinner. And, and I thankfully was rescued from my sin by Jesus. But I didn't start off as a good, nice little dude started off as a sinner. I still struggle with sin every day. And for the last 2,000 years, Jesus says, look, I came to save sinners. And for the last 2,000 years, we've been trying to box in his ability to do that and limit him so that he doesn't do anything scandalous. We've drawn lines and then tried to get him to color inside them. And how do we do that? Well, we say things like, God helps those who help themselves. You ever heard that? Oh, yeah, that's great. That's, that's in the Bible, right? No, it's not. I thought it was in first hesitations. <laughs> there is no first hesitation. So maybe it is in there. But it ain't in the Bible. Well, God helps those who help themselves, right? No, it's not in the Bible. In fact, that's not what the Bible is about. In fact, that's not what this story is about at all. In fact, it's about quite the opposite. In fact, the heart of the story is this, that God helps those who can't help themselves. Hey, God helps those who can't help themselves. And you know what I'd say too? I'd just, I'd go a little bit further and say, God even helps those who are so down in the gutter and sick of life, they don't even want to help themselves. They've given up on themselves. Does he always help them? No. That's a separate issue. That's a separate issue. But God does help even people who have just said, I am so, I am so worn out of life. I'm so worn out by, by my failed relationships and my addictions and my inability to be able to just get things right. I'm just giving up. And even in that state, God has swooped in and straightened up people whose orientation has been down on the ground. And here's my question to you. Does that bug you? Does that bug you? Yeah, but, but, but those people, they, but they're so wrong. Who are you talking about? These, these refugee kids, are, can they help themselves? Well, you know, we'll help you, but we want to see something from you too. Dude, are you kidding me? You know, they didn't talk about this, but we were chatting last night. We have pictures of some of these kids and their, their, their families and whatnot and their little groups they get together. And there's one picture that, we, that I saw. She's like, oh yeah, there's like uh, eight pregnant women in this picture and they all lost their husbands. Well, what happened? They were all beheaded in front of them by ISIS. Okay, well, that's, that's a paradigm buster. 
I can't get my, my arms around that. What are you going to tell a kid, oh, you know, help yourself. God helps those who help themselves. He, this is like, well, that, that sounds so nice, right? And I'm not just, why, why are you harping on that statement? Because we don't always go around saying that, but I think we act like that a lot. And I think we, we just honestly think that God works that way. And honestly, like, what kind of terrible God is that? Like, is that the kind of God that transformed the world? Is that the kind of God that brings you joy? And you're like, hey, guess what? God helps those who help themselves. Cool. No, 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 no. That's not the message that changes the world. That's not the message that turns a soul inside out. That's not the message that melts a concrete heart, man. The message that melts the heart of concrete is that God helps those who can't help themselves when they are at the bottom, man. And God helps those who don't even want to help themselves because they just can't do it anymore. You think this woman can help herself? Let's see how, how much you can straighten yourself up, lady. And then I'll finish it off for you. <laughs> what is that? The scandal of our message, the shock value of our message. And what's see, here's the thing. I'm convinced that if people actually believe this, we we couldn't, like, we'd have to just bust these concrete walls out more and more because we couldn't pack all the people in that would want to hear more. But people stay away from that. I talk to them all the time. Like I hang out with them at the gym and I talk to them everywhere. It's like people go, well, I come to your church, but I'm going to get struck by lightning. Ha, ha, ha. I go, no, we have a lightning rod for people like you. <laughs> we, thought, we thought about that. We planned it for you. No, I, why would you think that? What are you talking about people like you? Why, why, what, what, do you what do you think I am? What do you think I am? It's people who, who told you that? Who told you to stay away from a place that could tell you about the love of God because people are scared to death to come to a place like this because they think all they're going to get is a bunch of people like this Pharisee going, hmm, you know, get your stuff together and then come back. What is that? And see, we got to figure this out because quite frankly, we as evangelical Christians have a bit of an image problem in case you hadn't noticed. The world sees us as the synagogue leader. Totally concerned about the rules with no love to be found. And whether it's right or wrong, it's like a fact. We just got to figure it out, right? Because I don't think it's fair, but we sort of brought it on ourselves. It's like my wife and I, we celebrated our 20-year wedding anniversary. It was really cool. Um, and we went to New York City. And it was really fun. So we went, we walked all over the place. And so here we are in this amazing city, like Manhattan, you know, and like by Times Square. And I'm just walking around. I love these, I love the buildings. We rode the subway. And it was just fun, right? It's like Disneyland without the rides. You know, there's like people everywhere and cool places to eat. And so we're just, I mean, there's this great city. It's all this energy and life and like amazing architecture. And we're just loving it, right? And we're walking down the street. And all of a sudden, you hear this like, oh, Jesus, oh, Jesus. And I go, what, what is that? And it's like this dude over here on a, on a little bullhorn on the, on the sidewalk telling us all like, oh, you repent from your sexual perversion, repent from your drug addiction, and repent from whatever else you're doing, and Jesus wants to save you, otherwise you're all going to go to hell, and I'm like, it's like a nice day outside, you know, it's like two in the afternoon, and we're having this great time, and everything, and people are just, and this guy, and I go, I go, and my wife and I were just like, oh man, really, like we're, they, but like, it's like when you have a crazy uncle or something, you know, and you don't want anybody to know you're related. It's like that, 
that's like, you're an embarrassment, dude, because like that's what people think of us. And we just, we stand on the screen. We don't see any beauty in anything. All we do is stand up and just yell out, and then we use the name of Jesus. And you know what was so sad? It's like, here's the name of Jesus, the most amazing name in the whole world, the name that's responsible for my freedom, and it's been, it's been broadcast with uh, like, like noise pollution, like the sound of a jackhammer. You know what I mean? Like that's what the name of my Lord and Savior was turned into by this creep on the, on the side of the road. And it never works. And it was so frustrating. But see, but that's why, and I go, why is it that like of all the things that could represent us, people think of that. It's so annoying and difficult and frustrating because that's not who we are. That's not who we should be. This is why we've been saying all year, invest and invite. What does that mean? It means that, like, if you're a new person here, this isn't some multi-level marketing thing that we're trying to do. No offense to multi-level marketing people, because we got a lot of you in here. Um, <laughs> but, but, but my whole point is that, is that this isn't something like, oh, like, a, like here, we're here we want you to do all, no, no. All we've been trying to say is, look, we actually believe that, that we found something that's made this massive difference in our lives and that we don't even deserve it. And it's like this freedom from all these things that used to wreck us, right? And mess up our marriages and, and, th- and take away our joy. And, and so all we do is we just want to be the best possible people we can be to the people that God puts us around. So we can live lives of, of kindness and humility and authenticity and honesty for once. And, and just be people that other people would genuinely want to be around. And then maybe after a period of time where there's actual real relationships relationships happening with no strings attached. It just becomes a natural thing to say, hey, listen, would you like to come and just, I think you might like to see where where I go to church and and what happens here. And so the the first part is the invest part of just being somebody who who looks around and and honestly uh, sees life as as Jesus would see life, like like trying to go around and just uh, help um, be a good friend to people. And when there's problems, just try to authentically fix them without attaching all of these preconditions. Well, when you get your sexuality straightened out, you will, maybe we'll, we'll hang out. Why do we do that? And I know that because compassion oftentimes means approval or acceptance means approval. We got to get past that kind of stuff. We have to realize that, 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 that the more and more we put barriers in front of the people around us, and, 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 are, and are supposed to be out of, for the love of Christ. It's not the love of Christ. Here's the reality. God's at work all over the place, man. He's at work in your place of business. He's at work in your neighborhood. He's at work in your family. He's at work outside of this church. It's not like, well, there's this crazy world out there and in here is where God lives. No, God, this is a place where we hang out once a week. God is at work all over the world. He's straightening people every single day. And some of the people, you're gonna go, hey, he wasn't supposed to straighten that person that way. He wasn't supposed to fix that person. Why? What lines have you drawn you try to put him in? We ought to be the ones rejoicing when the, when, the, when the craziest people in our lives all of a sudden find grace. We ought to be the ones praying for that. We ought to be the ones striving for it. We ought to be the ones going as far as we possibly can to, to just humbly reach out to people around us and say, hey man, God loves you. I mean, look, it's really sad when you have celebrities killing themselves. I was talking to my daughter about this. I said, honey, I said, these people, they got what you want. Because every young person, I want to be famous. Really? Well, these people were famous and they killed themselves. What does that tell you? I mean, be a scientist. Observe. Think about this. Look at data. The data doesn't look good for these people. Like I said, we, my wife and I were in New York. We're walking around this beautiful, you know, Fifth Avenue or whatever, right by Central Park. And we're just having this great time. And I'm thinking to myself about Kate Spain. 
Here's this wonderful woman, and I know depression, I know that that whole thing, mental illness, can be a real challenge for people. I'm not, believe me, I am all about doing what you have to do in terms of like medication or counseling to help as much as you possibly can. But it's, it's, it's tragic. We were walking around, and, and like here it just, it just happened. I'm thinking this woman lived right around that area, and it's this beautiful place with his kids in a summer day, and, and, and you could see nothing in front of you that was good. That's tragic. Our hearts should weep over things like that. And not just because they're famous people, but anybody who, who wakes up in the morning and, and from a spiritual standpoint, all they see is the ground. The kind of church that we're trying to build here is the kind of church that, that, that just makes people amazed at the love and grace of God. This isn't a church that, that you, know, you have to meet all these conditions to be a part of. That's just, there's nothing good about it. There's like nothing exciting about that. So where are you at? It has, starts with a baseline understanding that we have a God that breaks the rules and colors outside the lines because he just loves people like crazy. Everybody, even the people that you and I would so easily write off and quite frankly, the people that have written themselves off. I'll put up on the screen we put up a few weeks ago because I thought, you know, I just wanted to rehash it because I think it's good because it's Jesus, so it's good. Um, Matthew chapter 9, where he says to these same guys, like these same, same crowd Pharisees, he says, go and learn what this means, which is like so incredibly sarcastic, because they knew everything. He's like, in case you hadn't, you probably don't remember this, like it's so, it's so sarcastic, it's beautiful. Go and learn what this means. I desire mercy and not sacrifice. For I came not to call the righteous. I didn't come to call you creeps. I came to call the sinners. The people you know, the, the people walking around are broken who just say, I got nothing. So let me just end with this thought. You know, maybe that's you. Like maybe you walked in here going, dude, I hope no one asks me about my life, man. I'm afraid I'm going to get judged. Afraid you're going to get judged. What, what do you, why, why would you be afraid of that? You know, I mean, I'm, I don't judge. God's the only one that judges. He judges all of us. But thankfully, he also wants to heal all of us. So if you're in a place where you're just like, man, I know I need to be set free from the things that have got me in their grip, then you've come to the right place. And you can be free from all that stuff right now. And it starts by surrendering your life to Jesus. By just letting him heal you. Say, God, will you just please make, wrong what, or make right what's been made wrong? Will you please give me your grace? Please give me forgiveness. And you have it. That's it. And that's what the rest of, that's what all of us have done. That's what I did. I didn't do anything. It was just like God showed himself to me. So I want to give you an opportunity to do that right now. So you go ahead and bow your heads and close your eyes. And right where you are, just, just take a moment. I just want to give you an opportunity. If you're here today and you say, you know, that's me. I'm, I'm broken. I'm like this woman. And I don't really want to admit that, but it's truth be told, that's me. I'm in that camp of God helps those who just can't seem to help themselves. In fact, maybe I've just been someone that God helps those who didn't even want to help themselves. Let's give up on that. But today, if you're telling me that God has helped people like me, God wants to reach people like me and forgive people like me, then I'm in. If that's you, then right where you are, with your heads bowed and eyes closed, just tell them in your heart. Just say, God, today, I want 
to receive your gift of grace. I want you to touch my life. I want you to straighten me out. Only you can do it. I recognize that I'm responsible for the things that I've done. But I also know that you're a great forgiver. That you love me with the same heart that you love that woman. Because I'm her right now. So today I want to commit my life to you. Become a follower of Jesus. And say thank you for the grace I've received. That's the first camp of people. The second camp of people with their heads bowed and eyes closed are are the people that have been like, you know, I've been kind of like the religious leader. God, I put you in a box. I reduced you to a legalistic father. I reduced you to a cold deity who just kind of plays by my rules. God, I'm sorry for that. Will you melt this heart of stone? Will you melt this concrete and give me a heart of flesh, as it says in the book of Ezekiel, a beating heart that wants to see you release your love on this world, starting with me and everyone around me. Make me the kind of neighbor that people would see as truly connected to you. Make me the kind of neighbor that makes Jesus undeniable. And it's in his name that I pray. Amen. Thanks for joining us today. Why not ask God to change your life so you can go and change your world for him? To find out more about our church online, go to www.compasschurch.info. And we'll see you next time.